you all so much for joining us again at Happier by the Minute. I'm so excited to introduce you to one of my new BFFs. This is Chesleen. And I have to read because she has so many different things that she does. She is literally like magic, 360 degrees of magic, holistic coach, media activist, global thought leader, solopreneur. But let's talk about what are the areas and who is this? Who are you for? Who can you help? Who are you you know, they say, who's your avatar? But, you know, who are the people that listening are going to say, oh my gosh, I need Chesleen in my life? Well, thank you so much, Stacey. I just love your energy, your incandescence. But to, to pivot back to your, to your question, I think it's a few different people. I will tell you people have been connecting with, um, you know, through different engagements that I've had with the, the language community, for example. It's people that are also multi-faceted, but not all the way represented by the paradigm that exists. And so I've been, you know, working closely with people from the queer, trans, black, indigenous, people of color community and finding ways to center us into the stories, into the narratives, into what the language industry is and can be more of. Um, okay, so slow down. The language <laughs> industry. Let's yes. just, you need to bring it down a level for me. So um, dumb it down a little. So the language industry, what, I mean, I know what the sugar industry is and I know what the commercial industry is and I know, so what is a language industry? That's a very great one. So um, by the language industry, I mean, for example, language coaches and educators and professors and the, um, you know, related industry that has to do with language self-learning. So, and also what we call polyglots, so people that are fluent and conversant in more than one language at once. So it could be three to five. People have different metrics, but I keep it very simple. So it's another way of saying multilingual, for example, just from a different root language. And, um, you know, when you learn languages, you interact with other people who have similar interests. And we have summits and different events that are very, let's say, prominent in the community. And when you go and you attend those, that's where you can feel and see in a very tangible way the lack of, of inclusion and diversity. And so when I saw this, and I've been in it for a little while, I had this little itch inside, but I couldn't quite identify. And, and so by crafting my own spectrum of what language can be, you know, in terms of language self-learning and teaching and coaching, I've been able to interact with people who have also felt the same level of scarcity, um, but we're looking for an outlet and a way to actually access a different kind of conversation where we can talk about, you know, nuances and the discourse that are not being talked about. For example, um, you know, being part of the third culture, somebody like me, so you live in different cultural spaces. My parents are political refugees. I'm born in a foreign country. And so my parents' native language is something that is not recognized here. And I was, you know, I went to school and I learned French and English, but then how do you reconcile your different identities through language? So this has been one of my, you know, prominent questions. And through the new space that I've been able to develop with, you know, people that I call soul crushes and the community, we realized that we can connect on this level because they also have gone through the cycles of asking those questions, but not having specific answers uh, being designed or crafted from within what I call, let's say, the language industry, right? So, yeah. So you are coaching, a lot of your coaching, I mean, there you have pockets of 
places where you support people, but one of them is language and how language impacts your life. And so, for example, it could be wanting to learn a new language. It could be that you speak multiple languages and want to find other people that speak multiple languages. It could be that you're fluent in a language, um, but you want to connect maybe with other people or you want to know how to use it better. Um, you know, you're in America, you're fluent in French. What would somebody work with you on around that? But, but more importantly, let me ask the bigger question, which is really it's a lot of immigrants who come to America and they have language challenges and they have um, self-confidence issues around their accent, um, around the nuances of American language, losing their culture. How do you blend that in? How do you do that as a parent? So, you know, and how do you keep your culture? But I mean, and certainly for adopted children, this is a really big challenge and parents, right? How do you, bless you, you about to sneeze. <laughs> Um, and, and how do you help them maintain and connect to their culture? I know that was a lot of questions in one, but maybe you can give us an example of one or two of those um, of somebody who is adopted um, from Haiti and they're living in, you know, Arizona now. And what does a parent do with that? Yeah. Well, thanks again for this beautiful spectrum. And like you're saying, <clears throat> what I really focus on is the stories and the realities of people that are part of what we call the third culture. So the you mean- third culture. A third culture? culture? Exactly. Okay. Yes. So this idea that we don't live in a binary system, you know, black or white or French or English, for example, but there exists a middle space that is more than the binarity and that's the third culture. And so people like us who have different cultural influences and backgrounds, but that exists within the one lived experience and the one body. What do you do with somebody like that when the, you know, when the educational system is not necessarily geared towards that recognition? Of I'm going to pause for a second because I want to really, that's so pretty that I really want to hold space for that where you say it's not binary. It's yeah. not that this is a Haitian child in an American culture. There yes. is that you know, where um, those two circles converge is the child. And exactly. it's a middle space, a third space that is not just Haitian or in America. So, so how do we cater to that? Because the school is going to be American, their mm -hmm. history is going to be Haitian. You know, how do you blend that? And, you know, how do you accommodate for that? So, yeah. Okay. So I just wanted to make sure that that was really clear because oh, it's really beautiful. Yes. It's, a, it's a beautiful um, new perception on a child, uh, on an adopted child or anybody yeah. that's immigrated in. So like you're saying is this idea that, you know, oftentimes when you say that, you know, you're from a different country and you live here, um, we're asked to choose. Are you more this or more that? And we're asked to quantify our identities. Like that's a thing. And so what I do, let's say in the coaching is I, I, you know, I tell people that I have this thing that I say we're all a providentially fated happenstance. And that means that we are something that's unique that was designed to happen. And through our own cultural uniqueness, we add something to the spectrum that never existed before. And so I tell people our, all our identities, linguistic and cultural, 
they exist in a continuum and it doesn't have a beginning or an end and it's not a top-down hierarchy. So you're not better or worse than anybody else. You belong in the one space that was designed for you. And that means when you think of, okay, I'm Haitian and I'm American, for example, it means that you are allowed to be simultaneously two things at once without them having to compete. And the same way that I can be a woman, I can be a daughter, I can be a mother, I can be a parent, and I'm not more a mother than I am a, a woman, for example. Mm -hmm. And so allow yourself to be complex and don't try to make your identity something that is negotiable externally or something that is relative to somebody else's identity. And so what I, I, I teach them too is that, you know, when let's say you go to school and school is not geared towards acknowledging you and the totality of you, that's okay because that's not, you don't want to look externally for that validation. Mm -hmm. So when you go there, you can look, you can go there and have a very critical mindset and recognize the parts that you can repurpose, the parts that you want to take, the parts that you want to challenge in your education because you're grounded. And when you go there, you don't go there to be completed, you go you to complete the lack in that environment. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, a lot about having those prompts and soul deep conversation and self-reflections where we look at what does it mean to be Haitian to you? What does that look like to you? So to make it very relative only to your experience and try to divorce yourself from even your family's history because that will come later. And a lot of the time as immigrant born, it's easy to be subsumed into your parents' story and then to get lost and to not know who you are as a Haitian outside of the community that's been there around you, defining you for you. So it's a lot of introspection. And you know, it's interesting because in, in conscious parenting, we talk a lot about being conditioned, about social conditioning, parental conditioning, cultural conditioning. So um, at all levels, we need to circumvent those conditionings. So you just go in in a really direct route and it might be a really great benefit, you know, that they aren't culturally conditioned or parentally conditioned. Um, but to really have that awareness, you know, and to, to get kids early enough to say, you know, you don't need the conditioning of, of either place or either parent or e any religion, you know, this is your unique experience to figure out what, um, what is valuable to you and what does make you who you are. Exactly. And something I feel also it's precious is, let's say you are, you know, you come from different cultural backgrounds and you are, for me, my parents are from Haiti. So when I am in a very like Haitian centric universe with people who don't necessarily share my experience, the gift that I have because I live through different cultural influences is I can read one reality through different facets. So it allows you to be more critical not in the way that you're judging, but in the way that you're observing. You mm -hmm. understand different things. You can see where we're acting out of bias, where we're acting out of inclusion, where we're acting out of fear, when we're acting out of so many different things. Whereas oftentimes when you live in a world where nothing is challenged, it's easy to start enacting stereotypes. You know, oftentimes mm -hmm. I was told, well, you don't look like a black girl or you don't speak like whatever, but that's a stereotype, that's not culture. So when you're clear on the difference, you can choose to belong to the part of your culture that are strengthening. Yeah. And you can be something that adds and you're a connector. You can bridge gaps. 
because you're fluent in more than one culture, you can also create new forms of allyships and community. Instead of it being overly centralized in the one way, you can help disseminate information and create new connections. So for me, it's you know, recognizing that culture is a spectrum. And my experience here in Canada is not supposed to be my parents' experience in Haiti. If it was, it would have been missing. I would have been in denial of what my geography is, my own history, and my own right to create a new form of, of culture that does not belong to my parent, but that comes from me. And so it's a lot of that dialogue that we have, and then we look into the specificity of it, because for each person is going to look and feel different. And that's what we want to do, understand and recognize who you are and a bigger conversation around culture that allows you to participate in your parents' culture and your parents' history to the fullest extent of your capacity without feeling that you're acting out of conditioning only. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what were some of the tools? What, what, is, um, what would the path look like to work with somebody that is struggling with their cultural identity, whether they're an immigrant, whether they are, um, uh, you know, I mean, immigrant, my husband is from Scotland and he's an immigrant, you know, in, in America and the language is a challenge, you know? So, um, what, what is sort of the path? What are some of the tools that you use to help them build their, their own, internal story drive confidence yeah um for example something that i love doing is even before we start all of that i have this um little questionnaire it's extremely short it's three questions and you have to record yourself because then i can hear your voice i can hear everything that a text will not necessarily provide and it's very like those deep introspective questions because i want to know who you are to yourself first and you know, what kind of vocabulary do you use when you talk about yourself? Do you talk through somebody else's voice? You say, oh, my parents think that, mm-hmm. or tell me that. It's a big giveaway. So I'm trying to construct and understand in my mind's eye, how do you perceive yourself? How do you self-project yourself? What kind of energy are you manifesting when you talk about your identities? Is it empowering? Is it apologetic? Is it questioning? And so shameful, is it embarrassed? Is it interesting? Interesting. Exactly. Yeah. So just to have the self-awareness, if you are somebody with an accent or somebody who um, has children with an accent, what is your story around that and your beliefs and the way you speak about it? Interesting. Exactly. And then the big, the first part, like you're saying, it's building that self-awareness. And I have this section I call myths debunking because there are a lot of myths and lies that we buy into because of the external pressure of conditioning, right? We're told that an accent is bad. You have an accent. And so we go through that little post and we see how do you relate to that? Is that something that you internalize? Is this something that you recognize as what it is? Um, and for example, you know, I explain the difference between an accent, accent and pronunciation. Accent is your vocal DNA. Everybody has one. And it speaks to your, your, your journey, your, the geography that you've lived through, different social cultural influences. Everybody has one. You take me and you put me outside of where my accent is the power of dominance. And then I'm going to be called out in the streets by certain folks by, you know, for having an accent. Mm-hmm. And pronunciation is different. 
pronunciation is the different set of, it's a code that we created to protect and to duplicate a sound system. So there are certain sounds I hear, even if I don't speak French, oh, that sounds French to me, because I recognize the, for, the phonetics of that as being foreign to my own experience and my own language. And so pronunciation is like the mathematical science that creates a rhythm of phonetics that helps you recognize one language as being co coherent and cohesive and self-supported. And accent is, is something different. And you know, we all, we, we all have an accent and different accents though they give you different opportunities because some accents are overly legitimized and other accents are you know, uh, underprivileged or delegitimized. But when you understand this, and then you see where your accent fits and lands in that geography, in that spectrum, you can decide how disruptive you want to be and how self-assertive you want to be. If you understand the difference between your accent, you can work on your pronunciation because that's something else. And when you, you integrate a space where your accent is not recognized, you're being an activist through how you produce and create language because you're doing it critically, consciously, determinately, and empoweringly. You're not asking permission. You are just, like Lisa Nicole says, you're giving them notice. This is who I am. This is how I speak. And I demand respect because I equip myself with respect first and foremost. Well, I would guess that in, you know, certainly in parts of America, um, or Canada, wherever. I mean, in the, and the French have um, a long history of having, um, being seen as people that um, put their nose up at somebody whose accent isn't good enough, right? And so, you know, when you face um, criticism for your accent, or people who are judging you or demeaning you or saying, you know, I can't understand you, so you shouldn't even be here. You know, how does one um, battle with that again? You know, I mean, and it's everywhere. It's. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that I hear different things because a lot of the time people conflate accent with pronunciation. Right. And so when you, you're clear on which is which, you know how you want to relate to that comment or how you want to reject it. And so, for example, whatever the language you speak, there's clarity and there's diction, right? So if I am doing uh, communications or public speaking strategically to facilitate the understanding of my people as an act of service and generosity, I may pace myself differently. I may also, you know, articulate different, but this is not my accent. This is everything that goes into like the pronunciation and just, again, intelligible um, communication. So that's one thing. Um, then about those instances where you're being faced with, you know, such comments, I think it's also understanding that we don't live in a neutral cultural environment mm -hmm. and that those impulses originate from a lot of, you know, um, like racist and supremacist ideologies. And so when you see something like that, then you go and you look into your own experience and you tell yourself, I am somebody who lives simultaneously in different cultural universes. I bring, I am a carrier of many worlds. You know, I am multifaceted, I am complete. And when I'm being faced by somebody who thinks and acts small like that, I don't have to diminish myself or to let myself feel diminished. Mm -hmm. And it's- And know, their racism is none of my business. It's exactly. not my, it's not because of me. It has nothing to do with no. me. It's not my story. It's not, 
Yeah. Okay. And I think that that is, I mean, it's easier for me to say certainly, you know, as a middle-aged white woman, but I, you know, but I think that we all suffer judgment from everywhere all the time. And it is really important to know that it isn't about you. So what, how do you communicate that? Yeah. I mean, um, for example, well, it's, it's also like, um, let's say like a very systemic approach, a very holistic approach that I take to it. And so as you're grooming yourself and finding your own place and your own culture and language, uh, it's also about surrounding yourself with people that have the capacity to be emotionally available to you as you're growing through that. And so in my close circle of, of influence and intimacy, I won't have such a person. Right. And if it revealed themselves to be like that, then I know how to apply strategic distancing so that when you are nurtured by a community so powerful, when you have to, you know, chance upon people like this, it won't have the same impact. Yeah. But yeah. Of the time, what happens is we don't have consolidated yet, you know, that life's network of people who are empowering us to be, you know, culturally divergent, culturally disruptive, culturally holistic. And so, you know, we feel the rejection on a much different level mm -hmm. because we don't have yet that foundation. And a lot of the time, you know, people that experience confusion in their identities, their language and culture, it's because they have misidentified the opportunities for them to experiment uh, publicly and internally. So there's also that. And um, to go back to what you were saying, there's this thing in Spanish that says, yeah, I totally you know? I have no idea what that means. <laughs> you know, but it's like what somebody says about you says everything about them and nothing yeah. about you. And there's also that layer. Mm -hmm. And so when you do language coaching, is it, um, does it involve both helping somebody get, improve their pronunciation and improve their self, their confidence, their self-esteem around it. So it isn't that big of a deal, um, but pronunciation is still valuable because you want people to understand you and you want to be able to communicate effectively. Exactly. So to me, you know, it's all about rephrasing. Um, and for example, when you're communicating, it's an exchange. And you want to make it so that whatever you have to say can be enhanced by the quality of the conversation that you allowed yourself to have. And pronunciation to me is simply clarity. And it's also public speaking. Therefore, we look at different strategies like that to help you prepare your thoughts beforehand to find different strategies behind that and, and to prepare you to have ongoing spontaneous conversations. There's also that layer. And then before we get into this, a lot of the work is about like, you know, looking at the foundation of your identity. How do you self-relate? How do you self-project? How do you see and perceive yourself? And how do you carry yourself consistently based on that understanding? Because a lot of our exchanges is energy and you can have a beautiful speech and utterance, but when it comes from a place where you look and you feel a certain when you're communicating that energy, then I will become, I will question what you're saying, even though it's a perfectly, you know, valid statement. And, and yeah, do different iterations. And then towards the end, or what we look at is how can we help you be autonomous so that I can make myself obsolete as a coach. My point is not to be a crutch, but rather to be the catalyst for your own agency. So that, you know, this conversation with identities through language and culture is a lifelong conversation. And you want to find ways to create a, your own process around this so that you can keep on evolving 
while staying self-supporting. And that's why we look at creating a network around you so that you can have those meaningful conversations, interactions that help strengthen you and your identity and understand that your identity is fluid. So we talk about this, you know, culture as being fluid, not static. And the same goes to with language. So how did you get so wise? <laughs> what was, what was the, um, you know, what's, what was the journey to this and how it became an actual career path for you? Well, um, I think it's, um, when I was younger and to this day, I never quite fit anywhere I was. And so I had to, and you know, the pressure was for me to assimilate and to conform because of my looks, before my gender identity, before, because of my languages and other, you know, ridiculous things like that. And so very early on, I decided that, you know, there was this voice inside of me that was telling me that they were wrong, but I didn't have externally a safer space to, to manifest that. And so I live in a duality where I internalize a lot of those things and that read and reading helped me access the minds of people who understood me, but were not geographically close to me. And then as I went on, I was able to then find and co-create spaces where I was allowed and able to safely express myself. And then it created a continuum where, you know, what was internal became external, but I only allowed that to be external around the right kind of people because or else, you know, it's, it, it creates a different kind of things. But I feel when you go from trauma and then you, you heal from it, then it puts you in a very strategic place where you become extremely empathetic. Mm-hmm. And you also have your own lived experience as a framework on how to operationalize the path from trauma to healing. And so for me, it was being born in this country and having the family not teaching me the language for all those different reasons, accents, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And then coming to a place where I go, it's not okay for me to only be fluent in colonial languages, mm. even if I feel so anti-colonially, I want to empower myself too. So then I went into this path of mobilizing myself to learn my own native indigenous language. Mm. But for me, it really goes back from, from trauma to your place of healing. And then from your place of healing, it becomes an act of service because then the realization was you're not the only one and there's never so unique about yourself that it needs to be exclusive. So you've, you've lived through that. So align yourself with other folks who want to, you know, enhance that kind of messaging and to find other people that are going through, you know, different iterations of your own, of your own background. And then you can help each other out and help decolonize what culture and language are made out to be in lots of institutions. Um, and then have real conversations about what is, but always being rooted in action and positivity and in co-creation. So I, I know I promised I would keep this short and sweet, but I have one more question. So you have a 13-year-old brother, um, and is does he was part of your journey um, to help him avoid the pitfalls of um, being insecure about his cultural identity? I mean, um, originally, because when my brother came into my life, I was 13 years old, we have a mini age gap. And, um, you know, my brother and I were pretty much allies to each other. We had this very transparent relationship and I'm a co-parent to him. And so I guess part of it was for me, definitely. And also for him and for the other kids, 
and our family that I'm a godparent and a co-parent to. As you're saying, is having those conversations and seeing the confusion, the hurt, um, not necessarily from him, but like this echo that I got from all the cohort of kids and understanding that I was put in a very strategic position where I was able to, you know, to coach them through a lot of that intersection of trauma and healing. And um, it's been great because we have those heart-to-heart -heart conversations mm -hmm. and I don't want to pressure him. I want to let him know what's possible. And when he's re ready to commit to, you know, learning Haitian Crow with me, I told him I'm there with the other kids. We're already planning sessions together, like Zoom parties, where we pull out different vocabulary and Haitian curls that they're curious about. And then we use the whiteboard and we have those big conversations. And, and because language and culture are so intertwined, you know, we look up one word that he have a specific question about and it turns into a history lesson mm. because of the origin of the word. And then it makes it easier for the kids to remember it because we also created like a very open conversational flow and it was very organic. So I guess the short answer is yes, for him, and for me and for the other kids that, you know, that I co-parent as well. It must be hard to not um, project your own passion onto them too, where you need to learn Haitian because it's part of your identity. It's part of your culture and your DNA. Um, and to allow them the space to just know when it's right for them. You know, I mean, is that a challenge for you? I mean, I was really aware of it because I, I had lived different things where I had been on the receiving end of being forced into certain things. Mm -hmm. And for example, with my brother, we check in. You know, he would see me doing things and sometimes he has questions, but we already spoke of it. And I said, are you interested? You know, the kids, do you want us to host that session? Is that, you know, not really. I will sit in. I'm not sure I want to speak up. I just want to listen. And um, this is part of a rhythm, you know, he has his own personality and is a very, um, not particularly reserved, but let's say he is not the most like flamboyant person in the room. And so I, I know how he works and I let him be who he is, but I feel that, you know, passion is a contagious energy. And so I would be doing things and then he gets curious about it. Then we have a conversation around it. Um, but, you know, I have not put any sort of pressure on him. And also we're a bunch of different kids together so he has his other cousins and when he sees them being so interested and ignited it also draws at him and then he's, he finds himself in the middle of that conversation but I respect that he told me already when I'm ready I would tell you and and but irrespective of that because that's part of my work and my life so much he's also in that universe he doesn't have to be the center mm -hmm. of that conversation but he is in the room and that conversation happens as well it's so fascinating. I could talk to you for like three more hours as there's so much in there. So, but what people, um, you know, the people who would reach out to you, I think are definitely people who have adopted children or have um, birthed children from, and they have a different cultural background or the parents have a different cultural background to really just find a way to weave it all together and, um, and, and create that really safe healing space for that individual child to know who they are and not in a binary way, which is really such a great explanation. But you also do other things. So what else do you offer um, if anybody just happens to be interested? Yeah, well, thanks. I love the, the summary. It's, it's exactly what this is about. Um, the other thing that I work on, it's um, 
called creational freeing and healing and intimacy so it's um helping empowering artists activists create political art that matters for people who care and again it's about using something that's creative like art but then to deconstruct that and make it something that empowers other communities and a very new feeling so i'm really big on this and if not i run a few different projects so i'm part of um the Black Caucus and the Task Force on Anti-Black Racism. And um, I'm part of a collective for the Decolonial Hub. And we help, you know, different organizations and broken associations decolonize um, their processes from the ground up. And What's the Decolonial? De decolonial. Oh, yes, we'll call the, the full name is the Decolonial Perspective and Practices Hub. I just call it the hub or the Decolonial Hub for short. And um, basically it's this idea that when we come into spaces and organizations, it's never neutral. And so how can we make the lack of neutrality something that creates inclusion? And we look at what's missing. So what kind of people are you hiring? How do you not nurture the diversity that you do have? And how do you use you know, decolonization as a form of innovation? How can you use that to push mm -hmm. you into creating something that's better in your own offering? So. I'm really passionate about that. And that's what we do as a hub. We work a lot with um, departments from universities and community workers and activists. And um, if not, I do similar things, but through the startup and I make it more transdisciplinary. I look at, you know, myself as an activist entrepreneur, what does that mean? And what can we learn from this as people that are not necessarily activist entrepreneurs, but would like to learn about different ways to, you know, evolve their practices um, differently. I love it. I love it. It is so fascinating. Thank you so much. Uh, in just a few minutes, do you want to say hi to my friend Chesleen? Hi. Yes. <laughs> That's Declan wondering when I'm going to be finished in just a few minutes. Okay. Yeah. So he's got to be he bring together his Scottish DNA and his American DNA, but that's, you know, not too challenging. So, um, I, in your website, tell everybody how they can find you and where you'd like them to find you. Yes, yeah, so I have my website. It's just my name.com. So C-H-E-S-L-I-N-E.com. And um, also on Instagram. Um, I'm really active there and I have lots of quotes and content and I basically put it in very short form and I am having a lot of fun with it. So it's also my name, C-H-E-S-L-I-N-E-T-T. -T. So my D initials for my last name. Have you ever met anybody else with the name Cheslin? Although it's probably very French, no? Or no, never. Not even on Facebook. Somebody can close, but it's not spelled the same. So I come up first and the search results. Awesome. So I figured I'm gonna brand this because nobody Good. else. Good. Yeah, and you can't even make up that name. So uh, <laughs> so that's a that's good. It's good for branding. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just so, thank you so much for taking the time um, to talk about such a really, really important topic um, as we help raise healthy, confident children. So I'm super grateful. People know where to find you and I will send you this as soon as it's done, but um, thank you, thank you, thank you.